This episode is brought to you by DailyDrip.com. Daily Drip makes it easy to keep up to date on your programming skills. You already know how much time it takes to find good resources and learn new languages. What if the hard part of that was already done for you? Sign up for Daily Drip and pick a topic that you want to learn about. Want to learn Swift? How about Elm? Or maybe you just want to brush up on your CSS and HTML. Every weekday, you'll get a short video or reading delivered to you via email. The best part is it only takes five minutes a day. We have a special coupon code just for BuildPhase listeners. If you sign up using the coupon code BuildPhase, all one word, you'll save $9 on your first month, which means you can try out the Swift topic for free. Don't forget to use the coupon code BuildPhase to show support for our podcast. Make learning a part of your daily routine with DailyDrip.com. Hello. Hello, good day. Did you hear that song this time? Yeah. Right? It's catchy, right? Uh, kind of. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little uh, monotone for me. There's okay. no there's no drop. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's not... I wonder how much you'd have to pay Skrillex to like redo all of the sounds in Skype. It's right there. I would, I would listen to the hell out of that. Yeah. Like if just every button you push... Are you familiar with metronome? Like as a concept? An artist. Oh, no. Metronome spelled uh-huh. with, with a G for gnome. Oh, and, uh, no. <laughs> he, he did a default iPhone ringtone mix. It's actually really, really good. And his YouTube channel is full of good stuff. Actually, I might have heard that. Yeah, that, it's that might That might be something I actually am familiar with. I don't have any more to say about dubstep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Austin. And this is Build Phase. I bought a, uh, this is how bad the internet is here, is I kind of have a feeling that the internet was causing issues as well. So I had to buy ethernet cables for the entire office. Uh, <laughs> we have, we all of our monitors are plugged in through a Cat6 cable now into the wall. And I bought a, like a 25 foot Ethernet cable with a Ethernet to fire Thunderbolt. Yeah. For this computer for in this room. So I'm on wired internet with a new mic and I think everything is finally okay. That's really fancy. What kind of mic did you get? The same one you have. I've I've had this one here for a while. But we're still getting weird audio dropouts and other stuff. And I, I don't know why. I still don't know why a lot of that was. But I yeah. I should improve my internet in my apartment. Mm. I want to switch to one of those um, distributed Wi-Fi network things. Yeah. That's EO or I? Eero. Eero? Eero? Yeah, something, something like that. that. Yeah. Well, also Google announced theirs. Like Google, it might just be called Google Wi-Fi. I don't remember. They announced it at the Pixel event, but yeah. for some reason, I'm I'm wary of that. I know nothing about it. Do you know the elevator pitch? It's the same type deal. It's multiple units that you get, and I think you can buy a three-pack, and it intelligently rejiggers its networking magic behind the scene to make it better. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I just don't trust Google to not be like scraping a bunch of my traffic <laughs> right. and sending it to their servers for advertising purposes, which right. is a shame. Right. Because... Like 10 years ago, I would have been all over such a product. Right. 
Yeah, my internet, I have to use AT&T at home. Do you see the, the Google Fiber thing that they're they're basically shutting it down? They're not shutting it down, but like they're not building any more cities and the VP or the CEO quit. <laughs> quit, like quote unquote. Yeah. Quit. Yeah. I think it was a pinboard tweet where he was like, we're doing so well, we're stopping and I'm quitting. Bye. <laughs> It's like because they wrote this big blog post, and that's exactly that's absolutely how what the tone was. It was like it was like oh we're you know everything's going great. We're like people are loving the service, and so as a result of that, we're not going to open any more cities. We're going to basically stop development in the cities that already have it, and also I'm leaving the company. It's like what the hell? That's so weird. <laughs> so weird. You'd think that would be a slam dunk. They could go into any city. And just make money. I don't know. But I heard that the reason they've been so... Because they've been pretty slow to add places here in Austin. They're here and they're on the south side of town. There's a bunch of places wired up for Google Fiber. But they're not expanding very rapidly. And it's been very, very slow. And I, I heard that it's because they have to fight the city. Hold up one sec. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. Okay, terribly sorry about that. Right when you were talking, the largest, scariest looking spider ever just started crawling up the wall next to me. Uh-huh. And it was mostly black, but with like brown and red on it. And I was like, mm. oh, this isn't good. This isn't a mm-hmm. good spider. Mm-mm. So I had to destroy it. Now, you were saying? <laughs> you had to destroy it. That's a funny way of saying like you hit it with a newspaper or something, I'm assuming. I mushed I it with paper newspaper. towel. Paper towel. <laughs> mushed it. I heard that Google was having to fight the city a lot here, which is a bummer. Kind of our city council has been notorious for just like putting up roadblocks in front of things that would abs- actually help the city. Mm-hmm. Make Austin 1888 again. <laughs> yeah, so but only in, only in, only in very specific ways. <laughs> like it's so weird. I don't know. It's kind of frustrating. Like, the Uber Lyft stuff was very frustrating and the Google Fiber stuff is very frustrating. And the kind of their approach I did I already tell you their approach to the traffic problems. So it's like really bad traffic problems here in Austin, especially in the major highways, because the city was designed for like a population a quarter of the size that it is now. And so you have all these highways that just are not designed to get this many people into downtown. And so you have just really, really bad traffic on specifically these two highways, Mopac and 35, which run north-south on different sides of the city. And like the city's solution to the problem of there are too many cars downtown is let's make it easier to get cars downtown. Like... They they just they're widening the highways and stuff. It's like cool. That'll save us for like six months. And then what are you going to do? Like that doesn't solve the problem that there are more cars in the city than there is space for those cars. What happened to the ride sharing services? Are they back yet? No, we've got like four or five crappy versions. I had to take a cab home the other day because the Fasten app. So Fasten is kind of the one that I've been using. So the the long story short is that there is no there's this is one of those things where there's no good guy. It's just all bad guys. Like everybody involved in this was just horrible and doing the wrong thing. So 
basically the city had put in some regulations around like fingerprinting for driver ride sharing drivers and some also I think there were some other regulations around like where where these services could pick people up like they didn't want people stopping in the middle of the street so they wanted to force people these ride sharing services had to go to like taxi stops of which there are basically none in the city and so Uber and Lyft didn't like that they didn't like these regulations that to be clear, like had already been made law and just hadn't gone into effect yet. And so Uber and Lyft pushed for a proposition and got something on a ballot and then started this huge ad campaign where they dropped some millions of dollars into the city kind of trying to get people to vote yes on this thing. They were incredibly obnoxious about it and they took a very poor tact of saying, if this doesn't pass, we will leave the city, which had the exact opposite effect that they thought it was going to have, where I think they thought it was going to be like, oh, no, we can't lose these services. But instead, it was very much like, screw these big companies trying to buy their way, like trying to blackmail the city into doing what they want, right? Mm -hmm. And on the city's side, it was just like, the regulations were nonsense. Like it didn't make any sense, but it turned into this really, really toxic discussion. Uber, especially Uber was really, really obnoxious with their advertising around it. They would call you incessantly. Like if you had taken a ride with Uber in Austin, which I hadn't, I switched to Lyft when I got here. But if you had taken a ride with Uber, they called your phone like crazy daily for weeks and it was incredibly obnoxious. I was just pounded with emails. I just got a ton of emails. So like everybody on both sides was wrong. But the end result was that a bunch of the rural, the more the people more kind of towards the outskirts, like everybody in the city basically voted for them to stay or to repeal these regulations that have been put in effect. And everybody kind of in the outskirts that doesn't use the service voted to keep them and Uber and Lyft had done a really efficient job of annoying their fan base and annoying the people that would actually use a service to the point that they most of them didn't show up at the polls. And so Uber and Lyft ended up leaving because those regulations did not get repealed. But then there was – so there was like one weekend where it was like, what do I do now? And then literally the next Monday – there were four different ride-sharing services operating inside the city limits. <laughs> it was just like, oh, okay, this is fine. And, and it, you know, it's not a huge deal. Like, they're for the most part, they're fine, except for the kind of the biggest one, and I think the best one of, the, of them that are around here is called Fasten, and they're based up in Boston. And their service just seems to be crumbling under the weight of the city trying to use it. I was at the airport recently and I tried calling and uh, fasten and the app wouldn't even, it, I couldn't even call anything. It kept airing out. So I had to get in a cab. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like an Austin resident, I guess, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and it cost me like twice as much to get home in a cab as it would have in a, in a fasten. It's just out their Cabs are outrageously expensive. But the flip side of that is that I didn't have to give him directions. Like when I got into a fasten to go to the airport, I had to guide the guy, tell him how to get to the airport. It's like, this is ridiculous. You should know how to get to the airport at least. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's where things are with that. I mean, they must be trying to come back, right? 
Honestly, I have no idea. I honestly have no idea. The, the, the one that I should try is that there's one called uh, Ride Austin that popped up, and they're actually a nonprofit. So they popped up right after they left. They started operating a little late, and they, the problem is they don't have a bunch of drivers. But Ride Austin is like a local nonprofit ride-sharing service. So they, they operate the same, but they're only in Austin. They're not looking to expand, and they're actively trying to operate as a nonprofit, which I think is interesting. Their app is basically an Uber clone. Like, it looks very much like Uber two or three versions ago. Got it. Yeah, it's, it's just so crazy to me that they would put up such a fight and not try to work with the city to stay. My only guess is that they were afraid of, like, setting a precedent in other cities. That's exactly what they're afraid of. And I think they used this. I think I heard that they were trying to use this as a precedent either way, right? If they had gotten it to pass here, if they had revoked the legislation here, they would use that as a precedent in other cities that require fingerprinting, like, for example, Houston, and use this as a precedent to push it there. And on the flip side, I think that they took this, I think I heard that they were taking this, the loss in Austin and using it, trying to use it as precedent at the state level to try to keep this thing from happening in any city, right? Like saying, like, we're not able to operate inside this entire city because of this. So can we put some state legislation in that makes that the city legislation null? I think that's true. That could be a total lie. But it is very weird. People will land. I was at a coffee shop yesterday, I think. And there was a woman who was like, how do I, how do I get a ride here? <laughs> and it was like, yeah, it sucks. Uh, <laughs> you can go to a hotel and get them to call you a cab. Or you can download this complete other app called Fasten and use that. And it might work for you. Just like that's like the locals. I think we can we can figure it out. You know what I mean? But it's a bummer that it it does affect the tourists, right? Like when you come into the city, I mean, the airports are peppered with ads for these companies. But unless you're actively paying attention to that stuff and recognizing that that's what you have to use, not just a local option to use, I don't know. You know, we get a lot of like we have like three pretty big, three or four pretty big tourist events over the course of a year. You know, South by ACL, the F1 races. There's another one or two that I'm forgetting. But anyway, hmm. yeah, <laughs> weird episode so far. <laughs> 15 minutes in already. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. What have you been working on? We can get away from this politicsy crap. Refactoring sign in and sign up in the app. We had a bunch of sort of related bugs that were around authentication in response to some kind of action that launches your app, be it an app shortcut or a user activity or a URL route or a push notification. Sometimes these would want to take actions that require you to be authenticated. Hmm. And the one nice thing about our design is that for the most part, everything that's considered part of the signed in part of the app requires this account object to work. And it's not just pulling it from, you know, some singleton to find out whether you're signed in or not. And so that removes the need to have like a bunch of branching code in view controllers and the like that we know will only be used when you're signed in. Mm -hmm. And so that works fine. The problem is, is that the way you access this account at the top level is through a singleton. And when you would sign in or you'd sign up, it would be this 
long sort of UI flow using a navigation controller. And at some point of this, at some point in this flow, just whatever view controller happens to be the last one would update the current account property on, you know, account controller. And then something like the app delegate is, is the delegate of this account controller. And it finds out whether, you know, we've signed in or we've just signed up or we've signed out or like the account has updated. So there were issues where trying to handle authentication before you take some sort of action was being handled in like four different places. Mm-hmm. Like we'd have some controller for handling user activities and it would save the user activity and then try to invoke login. And then at some point it kind of finds out about this new account in a roundabout way and then just re-executes that, that user activity or it reparses the URL route. And so for the most part, I've tried to pull all of that up so that the UI flows are just UI and they just eventually delegate events back up to some other object. And now signing in and signing up and signing out is all handled in one place. The UI flows that it launches are wrapped in operations and they're all run on a single queue that only allows one operation at a time. So I can guarantee some sort of like exclusivity of like signing in. So that's nice. Like if you were to open the app and hit sign in and, you know, the form comes up and then you go say tap a push notification to show you like your profile or show you Mm -hmm. a story or like a bank transfer story or something like that. It'll just take you right back to the app and you know, you're right back at the sign in. So when you complete that action, that like routing operation had been added as a dependency Mm. in the process. So anything that you had queued up, will just run now automatically. Oh, interesting. Or if, if you hadn't been in that UI flow, then it would have, you know, launched the UI flow, you sign in, and then anything else that it's queued up will run after it. Hmm. It was just sort of a, a necessary refactor because we got to a point where everything was kind of like strained. <laughs> we had yeah. a, lot of, a lot of issues. Yeah, that's interesting. It worked well at first and we had handled URL routing very cleanly. And when we, you know, started this rewrite, we weren't really handling user activities yet. Push notifications were kind of happening in this one-off way. App shortcuts weren't a thing. And so we had a decent abstraction. But then as these new ways to get into the app that required authentication came about, it just became really apparent that what we had was not working well at all. So are these edge cases or are they... I'm trying to think of why you would get a push notification that requires authentication. Push notification is is not a great example. Um, A better one is you are signed out Mm -hmm. and you go to make a payment with Siri. Uh. We don't have an account object for you, which means that we can't create a networking client for the Venmo Mm -hmm. service and we Mm -hmm. can't create payments obviously. Mm -hmm. And so we tell Siri that like the user's credentials need verification and the intense framework creates a user activity and hands it off to the app for continuation. Then in that case, we want to take all the information that you had provided Siri before that point, like the person you want to pay and the yeah. amount and the note. And that's all bottled up inside the user activity. And then we sign you in. And once you complete sign in, then we will just like show compose and pre-fill mm-hmm. it with all the stuff that you passed us. Mm-hmm. That makes more sense. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it really only applies to like URL routing and yeah, user activities. Yeah, I guess in theory that could be like an email. Like, I don't know if y'all have this set up, but you could have, if someone clicks like a link in an email that's supposed to bring you to somewhere in the app, same Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's cool. 
Yeah. So we still have this account controller singleton and there's there's no good way around that. Like if we just had the app, it wouldn't need to be a singleton because everything is sort of handled top level and any account object is like propagated down through the UI like as it updates. The problem is the app extensions. So Siri and iMessage. It is nice kind of just having like a shared instance that's a wrapper around the keychain that also mm-hmm. does some additional work. Like maybe you're coming from the current shipping version of the app and you know, this is the new version of the app and maybe you don't even launch Venmo the first time and you go straight to the iMessage app. There's some legacy migration stuff we need to do to make it work with the new version of the app and the account controller handles that. So having that singleton available to the extensions is nice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, ideally, I guess I wish I could hide that singleton accessor from iOS targets and only make it accessible mm. to app extensions. Yeah. I should look into that. So yeah, just a cleanup. Yeah, there's got to be a way to do that with like an extension or something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can't can't think of the answer right now. But there it feels like there's something there with like an extension to the class in a in your Siri extension. Right. Mm, okay. That like tightens access to to that to that yeah. accessor. Hmm. I don't know. Like that wouldn't be foolproof. Someone could just add that same extend extension to the app target, but yeah, I don't think there's any completely foolproof way. This no. has been one of the tough, tougher refactors I've ever worked on just because it's so foundational mm-hmm. and I was really afraid of breaking sign in and sign up. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Are y'all on Swift three yet? No. You saw that thing about 8.1? Yeah, we just saw that. Mm. That's scary. <laughs> We're not going to get to it this year. Really? Oh, well, I guess that's that's only a few weeks. Uh, Yeah. Till the end oh, of because, the year, I mean. Because 8.2 is going to be the last one, right? I to mean, ship with Swift 2.3? Is that what it was? Or was it 8.1 is the last one? 8.1 just came out. The right. 8.2 beta just came out yesterday. And I think in the release notes, it said that 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 version is the last one to support Swift 2.3. So conceivably we have until 8.3 of Xcode comes out to make that transition, which I assume would be the spring. It usually is like March. So we have time. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm looking it's be brutal. Yeah. I can't find anything. All it says here is support for Swift 2.3 will be removed from a future release of Xcode. That's all I see right now. That kind of sucks. I, I thought mm. that, that was. I really thought that that was going to stick around, and that they were going to be more aggressive. That they weren't going to be so aggressive about this stuff. Like that is definitely one of the biggest pain points of working with Swift so far is these forced updates constantly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just being, and, and I understand why at a basic level you want to push people forward. But like right now, we're still bundling the Swift runtime with our app. So, like, why be this aggressive? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you would you would need ABI compatibility, right, in order to be able to stop bundling the runtime, right? But so until then, who cares what version of Swift it's running? Like, re- like really, uh, that's not. A rhetorical question i honestly don't know why anything would care so i think that swift 2.3 it kind of seems to me that this was something that maybe was never in the roadmap and right. they got down to it and they realized swift 3 had a lot bigger changes in it than they maybe expected 
didn't right. end up being ABI compatible. And Swift 2.3 also managed to get some really, really critical Swift bug fixes in it. Because for the most part, it seems that Apple really, really doesn't give a shit about Swift 2.3. All right. the docs right. are Swift 3.0 style. We've talked before about like the um, the API incompatibilities that I hit mm-hmm. in the Intense framework in Swift 2.3, where you have to manually annotate them with like Objective-C just because they're not imported correctly into Swift right. 2.3. Right. It, it feels really bolted on. Like if I still do a clean build of our project, I get a bunch of temporary errors because it's immediately like looking at the source and going, oh, whoa, this isn't Swift 3 compatible. And then once it starts compiling, it goes, ah, no, you're fine. It, <laughs> it totally feels like just bolted on. So I can kind of understand why they'd want to get away from it. And granted, yeah, we ship Swift, but we don't ship foundation and we don't ship mm. UI kit in our apps. And so mm-hmm. those have to support the versions of Swift that we can ship in our apps. And I understand Apple maybe wanting to keep that to a minimum, usually just one version. Yeah. But like that, that still just feels like it sucks. Like in an ideal world, like that feels like implementation details that are getting leaked out to us. Kind of right. Yeah. I think in an ideal world, what would happen is until we get ABI stability, like the mechanism is there now in Xcode for at least differentiating between two versions, Swift 2.3 and Swift 3, right? Because it, it sets what? It sets like a Boolean in the plist. Like when you look at the editor, it's a selection, but the actual plist is a Boolean, I think, for like Swift 3. Oh, yeah. It's just a build setting. Right, right, right. But but I'm saying it's a Boolean setting, right? It's a Boolean setting. Do I use Swift 2.3 or do I use Swift 3? Whereas in the Xcode editor, it's presented as like a dropdown. Which Swift version do you want to use? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. The build setting is actually a version number. Oh, is it the I'm, opposite of way around? Yeah. When I moved us over to XC configs, like you do Swift underscore version and you either cool. assign it to 2.3 or 3.0. Okay. Then it's even better than, so then, then in the Xcode editor, it's a Boolean thing that just says use Swift three and you set it to yes. But so that's even better than what I thought it was, right? So you already have this support built into Xcode for saying, here's the version of Swift I want to build with. Why remove that? Like at that point, I understand what you're saying, but like in an ideal world, just keep using that. You have that mechanism built in already. Let people advance when they have time and ability to advance. Understand that these aren't easy changes to make. Even I'm not even talking about like, yes, Swift 3.0 is a massive change that people are having a lot of trouble with, but I'm not even talking about Swift 3.0 being a massive change. Just taking the time to update between point releases like taking the time to update between three and 3.1 is going to be something you're going to have to ask people to do and it's going to take time it's not going to take no time you know what i'm saying yeah and you're you're asking companies it's a huge downside of working with swift at all is being forced to push forward your language like we never had to do that with Objective C, never. It, it, apples and oranges, I know, but like, it made it nice, right? You could adopt language features when you're ready to adopt them. And given that the mechanism is there, like in an ideal world, I would say, okay, until ABI compatibility, just bundle it. Like, who cares? Like, let me specify which. Keep just shipping new versions of Swift. 
let me just specify whatever version I need to specify. And then once you get ABI compatibility, only bundle Swift if my version is below the versions that support ABI compatibility. Right? But like mm-hmm. even then, even if we hit, you know, Swift 4, let me ship my Swift 3.0 app for as long as I want to. And at that point, I'm just accepting that my runtime will be bundled and so my my binary will be bloated. If my theory is correct that like Swift 2.3 was never supposed to be a thing and it was just an accommodation made, then there's probably a bunch of hacky crap in Xcode's build system mm-hmm. and the Swift SDK overlays that they just don't want there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they know that in the next major release, a lot of these problems are going to go away. It's like true then from release to release we might not have source compatibility but we'll at least have binary compatibility right. and it's like one less ball to keep juggling right and like i i don't necessarily blame them for trying to be more strict to cut down on like crappy hacks that they had to throw in at the last minute to support this system of like two versions of swift at once no i don't either but but it is exhausting oh yeah it's exhausting and it's annoying and it is implementation details but I, I think I kind of understand why they're doing it. Yeah, no, I'm, I definitely understand the motives behind it. It's just I find it incredibly frustrating to have to deal with it. Like it's another thing. It's just like yet another thing in the Apple ecosystem, like as an Apple developer, where I have to go like, it's not like this everywhere. You know what I mean? And it makes me like look around and go like, oh, all these other people aren't just aren't dealing with this. And it frustrates me that we do have to deal with it in this way. Like, it's clearly a grass is greener on the other side kind of a thing to a certain extent. But, you know, like if you're working on a Ruby app or like a Rails app or a Phoenix Elixir app, right, you can just, it's similar in that, you know, you're telling the server what version of Ruby or Elixir to run, but you control that. And controlling that gives you a certain amount of power where you can then say like, okay, I am ready to update this to the next version. And so I'm going to do that. And given that we already have to deal with stuff updating out from under us with the SDKs and the OS version, also having like that was bad enough, right? When you get a new OS version out and it's like, well, well, what changed? But now it's like not just new OS versions. It's every time Xcode updates, the rug gets pulled out from under us and we have to look around and say like, okay, what's broken? Here's a perfect, perfect, perfect example. Argo, right? Right now in Xcode 8, if you pull down master, the tests for Argo pass in Xcode 8, but they seg fault under Xcode 8.1 because of something to do with the way Swift dictionaries are doing something. I haven't dug into it enough, but our tests around Swift dictionaries are creating a exe bad access error because of something with numbers, specifically uh, uint and floats. They're not decoding properly. Hmm. It's It's almost like they're not being treated as you know, I think what might actually be happening is that they're being encoded directly as int and double, not as NS numbers, which is what they used to be doing, I think. I don't know. There's something weird going on here. Well, well, this sounds like a result of that proposal that provides proper bridging between Swift's number types and NS number, which is mm-hmm. added in 3.0.1. So that's definitely what you're hitting. And like that behavior is far better now. I'm not sure if it's just 
you need to update for 3.0.1 or if you've actually hit a bug. This feels like a bug. I shouldn't ever get an exe bad access when all the types look correct. You know what I mean? Like I, I kind of consider any if I'm hitting exe bad access period, that's a bug, especially when it just pops up. Yeah, I need to do some digging and figure out exactly what's going on. It definitely sounds like what you're talking about, though. Hmm. But again, that's frustrating, right? That's frustrating that I just updated Xcode, and now I have a new Swift version, and this new Swift version is breaking. Yeah. And I wasn't able to make that an explicit decision to say, okay, I am upgrading this now. Now this supports 3.0.1. Also, for this to break on a 0.0.1 release is infuriating yeah that's not great anyway are you watching swift talk yes i do usually don't watch the videos i just read the transcripts ah i've been watching them they're really good i guess we just had chris on right this will come out after chris's episode so yeah did y'all talk about that at all actually no we didn't talk much about swift talk Hmm. it's kind of nice we had a guest on who like who just wanted to talk about the things that we normally talk about and like wasn't trying to promote anything. And oh, cool. I was definitely like giving him that opportunity. I'm like, you want to plug some things? He's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> just cool. chat. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I'll plug it for him. You should watch. People should subscribe to Swift Talk because it's fantastic. Yes. You when you were talking about when you were talking about your thing, I was thinking a lot about they have that one on like asynchronous view controllers where basically they have they create this view controller that needs to load things from the network. And so it becomes asynchronous and then it becomes hard, kind of clumsy and there's a lot of logic in there and you have to have these weird initializers and like optionals. And then they extract that out and make it a child view controller inside this thing that they call like, I think async or loading view controller where Mm -hmm. the loading view controller is responsible for making the network request. And then it instantiates and sets up and displays the child view controller, which now is completely synchronous. And it was like, I was like, God, that is, if I recall correctly, and, and I might, I might be inappropriately patting myself on the back by doing this. (laughs) I think that Chris was inspired by a talk that Ayaka gave Mm. that was based on something that she wrote for Venmo that was inspired by a comment that I left on a pull request Mm. that was just like the rough, crazy musings of a madman there's sure. like, whoa what if we use child view controllers and <laughs> generics sure and then that came out of it so i'm gonna take credit for that yeah let's go ahead and give you credit <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah i'm cool with that <laughs> awesome yeah I, I i know what you mean that's that's the kind of stuff that i i love about swift talk and i i kind of mentioned wanting to have um chris back so we could talk more about yeah like using swift in interesting ways to wrap ui kit and that's when he mentioned that Brandon um, from Kickstarter, uh, Brandon, yes, had had just given a talk at Functional Swift that was about that exact topic, and I've been meaning to go watch that talk. Yeah, I'm that's a, check that out. That's I'll drop that in the show notes as well. But that that is a good talk. It's more sprawl, like it's not it's not as focused as that. It's more kind of just generally speaking, like a lot of kind of how they use functional programming at Kickstarter. But it's super interesting talk. But he does go into, like, they're doing crazy stuff with, like, playgrounds. 
for developing view controllers and stuff, they have them all in playgrounds and so that they can just essentially get live reloading, <laughs> you know, where they just have a view controller loaded in a playground and then they're just tweaking stuff in code and it's just updating live in the playground and then that's what they ship. Mm, that's really smart. Yeah. So is it like they have like a workspace with all their frameworks and then they just have a playground in that workspace? Yeah, I couldn't tell how it was set up from the talk, but yeah, I'm not sure. That's really smart. Mm-hmm. I'm going to steal that idea. <laughs> cool. You want to wrap it up? Yeah. So show notes for this episode will be found at buildphase.fm slash 113. And as always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at hosts at buildphase.fm or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And we really appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. Cool. Talk to you later. Yep. See you later. All right. See you.